How is everyone? I'm I'm doing it. I'm doing all right. Hey, it's great to see. It is awesome to see you all tonight. Um, so glad to be able to share this evening with you all and uh, see all your faces. It's good. Um, somebody I can't I can't remember exactly who just mentioned that we're starting a we're starting a new series tonight. Um, and uh, you know we've been going through the fruit of the spirit since block party. It's kind of crazy to think that we've all the way at this point. Um, but we're going to be doing this like kind of short four week um, series. Um, just talking about like salvation stories in the the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, um, and looking and seeing like what how this like foreshadows uh, what Christ does. Um, so we're really excited to do this. Um, we're going to be um, in uh, Genesis six through nine tonight, uh, or yeah, six through nine. Um, also, if you use the Uversion app, you can go to the events page, and we have notes for that. Um, and that's a good reminder for me to pull that up. Um, as we get going, uh, you can hit the little, you can hit the hamburger down in the right corner and it'll pop up some stuff to, to find us there. So um, feel free to do that. If you need a Bible, we've got them around too. Just kind of wave at somebody and they'll, they'll get it to you. Okay. Um, when I was young, uh, a bunch of people from my church, uh, every summer would go to a place over in Missouri called Current River. Anybody ever been to that? Current River? It's a canoeing place, kind of like Turkey Run here, um, but bigger. Um, and we would go as like a, a church and we would, um, you know, have fun, just take the day to do that. And there was one year, I was like seven or eight. It's kind of hazy exactly to me what, what uh, age I was, but I know I couldn't swim. Okay, spoiler. And so we're at, uh, we're at Current River. We've done the day. We've done some hiking over there. We have... Uh, you know, done the canoe trip, and um, we're at the point where, like, all the boats, all the, all the canoes and kayaks have been pulled up on the, the shore, and people are kind of unpacking things and getting them, uh, you know, ready to, like, load up and all this stuff, and me and my cousin and a couple other kids um, had decided that we were just going to splash around in the river for a while in the shallows, and what we were doing was we would sit down and let the current, like, take us for like several hundred feet, and then we'd catch our feet and we'd stand up and we'd walk back up river and do it again, do it again. It was great fun until we weren't able to catch our feet anymore. And I remember very clearly, even to this day, realizing, oh shoot, like I am in big trouble. I am in very big trouble. And me and my cousin both totally couldn't get a hold of the ground anymore and got like swept down river. Um, and all I remember was like sky, water, sky, water, yelling and nothing, like screaming for help and nothing until people were dragging us out of the water. And like probably to adult people, it was like a few seconds. But to me, in my memory, it was like this, like you can hear the heartbeat in your ears, you know, kind of thing. And um, there was this time of like crying out for help and then hoping for something, um, the Bible is full of people being pulled from the midst of turmoil um, and being saved by God. Um, and these ideas of like salvation and rescue and deliverance and help are like continuous throughout the scriptures as we go through that. I mean, even if you do want to do like a, a word search at some point and be like, you know, deliverance, uh, salvation, help, 
you're going to have all these things pop up about like God showing up in these places for these people, uh, people calling God like their help and ever-present help in times of trouble, like my salvation, all of these things. Um, and God in scriptures, you know, there's all these names that people call God. Um, and one of those is uh, Elmoshia. Elmoshia, God that saves. God that saves. He's given that name because of the salvation that he brings towards people. Um, that comes from specifically Psalm 68:20, when he says, Our God is a God who saves. The sovereign Lord rescues us from death. That God who saves, that El Moshia. Um, so spoiler, again, we see all this saving and rescuing that's inherent in the Lord come to a culmination in Jesus, in his life and death and resurrection and what he does um, uh, for us, bringing us back to God. Our God has saved, he does save, he continues to save, and ultimately he will save absolutely. Um, that is our God. Today, though, um, we're looking back again at the Hebrew Scriptures in Genesis 6-9. through 9. Um, We're not going to read every single bit of it because we'll be here till tomorrow if we do that, but um, we're going we're gonna to dip into this and look and see like, what, what it says about God. Um, so I do want to read the beginning part. Uh, this is starting with Genesis 6, 5 through 12. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was the only evil all the time, was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I've created. And with them, the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. And now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. What happens next? Anybody? What happens after that in the story? Chris, to fur. Noah, yeah. God, God, exactly right. Nailed it. God has Noah. He tells Noah to build the boat. Anything else? that you remember? Don't go too far forward, but. There's going to be this, the way that he's supposed to load up two by two, and then there's some other numbers in there, um, some sevens probably to eat, but um, yeah, brings the animals on the boat. Anything else? He's supposed to build a boat. He loads the animals up. Then what? It starts raining, the waters from the deep start coming, the flood begins. In the midst of that, something really important as the flood is happening. What's that? So Noah gets in, right, and they shut the door. Yeah. Yeah, Noah, Noah is in the boat, right? <laughs> in the ark. That happens and they shut the they shut the door and they're in. The family is in. Yep. Um, and 
not to belabor this, the, the, the rains happen, it says 40 days and 40 nights, and then there's 150 days of this flood happening. Um, and then we get to chapter 8. I want to read one, one verse from that. This is uh, chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him on the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Then what? Then what happens? Oh, you're jumping way ahead. That does happen, yes. I'll get there, though. Roll it back, sorry. The dove, yeah. So, so Noah's like, I have no idea what's going on, right? And he opens the window up, and there's, this is always the flannel graph thing for me. Anyone experienced that? And it's like, <laughs> dove. Um, he sends the dove out, nothing happens. The dove comes back. He sends the dove out again seven days later, comes back with this twig in its beak. It's like, okay, well, trees are showing. Sends the dove out again, it disappears, never comes back. Okay, there's dry land. Let's get out. That, that happens, and then we get the rainbow thing. That's good. Um, the, uh, anything else there? Yeah, the water diminishes. The, the dove does not come back. They open the gates. They come out. They have salvation from this flood. Then we're going in to jump into Genesis 9, 7 through 17. I want to read that part. And you, this is God speaking to Noah and his family, and you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said again to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living thing, every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it's for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that's with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud. It shall be a sign of covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. I'll remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that's in the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have made. This is the covenant. This is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let's pray and we'll jump into this. Um, uh, Father, please speak. Um, thank you for your salvation, your help, your deliverance that is just a part of you, um, a desire that you have to bring your people back to save your people. Um, and I just pray that we would be able to see, to see your heart tonight in this, um, that we'd be able to, to look at this and, and understand um, just your desire to, to bring people um, out of the turmoil um, to you um, and to, to bless in this way. So help us to learn, speak what you will tonight. And uh, um, yeah, I just, I just pray that you're moving as, as I share the things you've laid on, on me tonight. Um, we love you. Amen. 
So uh, this isn't the only flood account in the world. Um, you, may, you may know that already. Uh, lots and lots of cultures, it's not surprising to me actually, but lots and lots of cultures have a flood account. Um, maybe if you've taken like a literature class in college or high school, you've even had like the Epic of Gilgamesh. Anybody had to read the Epic of Gilgamesh? A few people. Like there's a flood story in that. That's probably one of the most like known non-biblical flood stories. Um, and, you know, likely this wasn't the only flood story that the Israelites had ever heard because they were in that area where all of these flood stories originates. Mesopotamia. That's where this is coming from. And they would have, they would have heard these things um, being in other places. Um, one of the things that we often sometimes, I, I think, deal with in these accounts is that, like, scriptures like this, um, there's a tension of, of seeing the wrath of God played out in these, in these accounts, right? Um, we, we love to think about God's, like, perfect love and his grace and all of these things, and we get a little maybe more uncomfortable when it comes to, like, wrath, judgment, those kind of things. I think sometimes that, that like, messes with our sensibilities a little bit. Um, and I believe that's fine to sit in the tension. You know, if you're in that place where, like, I, I deal with this and it's, it's a struggle, I think it's okay to sit in that tension and, like, work through that and pray through that and, and see where God takes you. Um, I personally think God welcomes us to come to him with those difficulties. Um, but part of what we see in the flood is, is the absolute holiness of God and, and the fact that wickedness and sin have no part of his plan for the world. Um, it, it's, not that, it's not God's desire for his creation um, and his relationship with humanity. Um, you know, back, we, can go to, we can go back a few chapters to Genesis 3. We look at see how like, relationship was broken through sin. Um, like through choosing something other than God, through choosing, like, I'm going to say ourselves as trying to make ourselves the ruler over, over God being ruler, that, that creation and that um, relationship with the Lord were broken through that sin. And it, it breaks humanity's relationship with God, with creation, and how that becomes, and it just shows how that becomes a big problem when we have a God who's completely holy. That's a problem. So, Gilgamesh, going back to that again, um, Gilgamesh and other things like that, other stories, flood narratives, begin in a, in a similar way where it's like the anger of a god or gods that leads to destruction from a flood. But those stories typically deal with some hero that like outsmarts the god, like they're smarter than the god, so they can somehow get away from it, or they like do some heroic act in order to appease the God. The difference that we see here in Genesis is that it is God who saves Noah. There is a huge difference in that narrative. It is God who saves Noah and his family and the animals. It's God who says enough. It's not Noah who like does something in order to appease God and make him like turn the flood off. God is like, it's time. It's time to send this wind over the waters and make it recede. Um, it is God that says, never again at the end of this. Never again will I do this. God's holiness is shown in his wrath against the, the wickedness and sin of the world, but the difference that we see here and what's being noted here with Noah is also that God is the one who saves. 
God is the one who saves. Now, I've talked about this um, a few of our like Sunday teachings as well this year, but there, there's a literary motif called chiasm. You guys know that from literature also. I'm talking a lot about literature tonight. Um, and it's used quite often in the Old Testament scriptures. Um, and we see that, we see that actually used in this flood narrative. And it's a really important piece of that. Um, you know, maybe in a lit class you saw like something like this, right? Does this look familiar causing any like stress to well up in you? You know, kind of, you know, the people will write this way of ABC, CBA, or sometimes it looks different. Um, but, but this is something. But the way that this account of the flood is framed forms a chiasm that points to something. Um, and you can go ahead and flip that next one. Um, and I know you can't read that at all, okay? But um, scholars disagree sometimes about like what the actual points are that work towards the middle, but almost overwhelmingly agree about what the center point is, about what the gold that we dig for is in the middle of the chiasm. And it's that chapter 8, verse 1 that we read. Um, that uh, chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. He remembered Noah and he sent the wind. Now, obviously, I think God didn't forget who Noah was. I, I think, I, I don't believe that God like was like, oh, that dude, you know, like I forgot about him. I, I don't think that's where we were going with this. But when, when that, that word is used in the scriptures, it's, it's talking about God acting in accordance with his promise. Like, it's not like, oh, yeah, that I, I finally remember him. It's, I promise this and I'm going to see it through. I'm going to see it through. Um, he did what he said he would do, and he kept Noah and Noah's family and all the creatures of the ark in mind through his grace. So God is the God that saves. He's the one that saves, but he also is the one that fulfills his promises. And God not only saves, but he also renews. Um, that verse in 8.1, we see the start of something. Uh, very kind of interesting to me, but I'm also a nerd, okay? Um, I, I, and I wonder, I want to I see if you can tell me what, what I'm seeing here, okay? Um, listen to these things that happen after God remembers Noah. Okay, keep these in mind. They're up on the screen. He sends a wind, ruah, also spirit. It's also the word for spirit. Over the earth and the waters receded. Um, in 8.2, the fountains of the deep are talked about and the floodgates of the sky. 8.13, Noah removes the covering of the ark and looks. 8.14, the earth was then dry. 8.19, all the animals and the birds went out onto the earth. And then in 9.1, God blesses Noah and his sons, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. Does this sound familiar to anyone? And if it does, feel free to shout it out. Creation. 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 Uh, I'm not sure what I have next. Can you pop it to the next one? Nope. Okay. Um, I'm just going to read it. Uh, sorry, Nico. Um, creation. There, there's a total like recreation that God is doing here after this salvation moment that happens in the flood. 
Um, again, 8.1, he sends the wind, the ruah, the spirit of the earth, and the waters receded. Genesis 1.2, and the earth was formless and desolate. Uh, emptiness and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. 8.2, the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky. 1.6 of Genesis, God says, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made an expanse and separated the waters that were below the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. 8.13, 8.13, Noah removes the covering from the ark and looked, and then 1.4, if this takes some imagination, but they've been in this dark ark for 150 days, opens it up to see the light. God says, let there be light, and there was light. 8.14, the earth was dry. In Genesis 1.9, God says, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear, and it was so. 8.19, all animals and birds went out into the earth. In 1.24, God says, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kind, livestock and crawling things and animals and earth according to their kind, and it was so. Finally, 9.1, be fruitful and multiply. And in 1.28, God blesses them and he says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Like we see this recreation happening out of salvation. God saves He's the one that saves. He's the one that fulfills his promises. And he makes things new again out of that. And he makes another promise to Noah. Um, In the end of the account, we see this. God says, um, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow in the clouds. And it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood, never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be in the clouds and I will look at it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have confirmed between me and every creature on earth. So God, in his care for humanity and the world, says never again. Never never again is this going to happen. And he makes this covenant with Noah. And and our, our minds always go to rainbow, and they should, because that's what it means. But that's not the word. Um, the word is bow. Do we have any, like, archers or hunters in here? A couple? Like, what is a bow for? Shooting an arrow. Shooting an arrow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and typically, typically, often to kill, right? I mean, we can target practice with a bow, but its, it's use, its tool is for, like, hunting um, at this time, hunting and, like, typically that's not our warfare anymore, but that was, like, a warfare thing. Um, it to put it really bluntly, is for destruction, is what a bow is for. But, but we need to think about this. He, puts his, he hangs his bow in the sky. It's a weapon and a tool. Its purpose is to harm and to kill. But I was like rocked by this lately. Wh- which way is the bow pointed? 
in the sky. When you look at a rainbow in the sky, it's pointed up, right? He hangs this bow no longer pointed at the earth for destruction, but actually pointed to the heavens towards himself. It's pointed upward. God in his grace gives a sign to peace, of peace to Noah, by pointing the bow upward towards the heavens, toward himself rather than at the world anymore. And flying forward through history, we see that played out once again in the person of Jesus. We see that totally played out in that. We, we look at things like Isaiah, you know, saying like he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Like he, he is taking that punishment. Once again, God has seen the wickedness of the world and he's acted, but instead of bringing destruction raining down on us, the bow is turned on Jesus. God in the flesh. Um, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God's the one who saves. He, he fulfills his promises. He makes things new, and Jesus has taken punishment upon himself for us. Uh, a podcast I listened to, um, and a guy I know, Marty, he says this about this section, just to kind of end here. At the beginning of the story, it said, God regretted making humanity because every inclination of the human heart was evil all the time. By the time the story is done, what we hear, what we hear God say is this, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil, I will not destroy the earth. Even though that's true, I still won't destroy the earth. This is a story about a God who knows when to say enough and a God who, that is for creation, redeeming it, restoring it, and putting it back together. Um, we're going to have groups here. I just want to pray for you all as you go to talk about that. Um, uh, God, we... Um, absolutely do not deserve your grace. Um, but we praise you. We thank you. Um, I'm so thankful that you are God who saves, um, that you are God who hears our cry. Um, Psalmist says, I, I love the Lord for he heard my cry. Um, and we just praise you um, for that. And I praise you for things like never again. Um, praise you that you are a God who says enough. Um, and I just pray that, you know, just walking through this, some of these, some of these kind of 
interior parts of the story, Lord. I just pray that it's something that, that like, you would speak through into our lives as far as just like your goodness and your mercy played out in real time in our lives. Um, help us to see that. Help us to um, live in that. Um, I, I just pray that like if that's not something that we have grasped onto, that uh, Lord, that you would do be doing work in people um, tonight uh, and into the future. Um, and if it's something that maybe we've lived in for a while and maybe we've forgotten, um, Lord, I just pray that you would, re- you would remind us of your goodness and your grace. Um, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you, you'd be even moving tonight as these groups meet, just to talk about some of these questions, to share with each other, to sharpen one another. Um, Lord, you say in your word that, you know, we come together, everyone has like a word or a song or a prayer or, or these things to offer to build up one another, and I just pray that that would happen tonight in these groups. Uh, We love you.